Hispanic raised up from under my hood and he shook his head and said, this ain't good. Timing belts done shrunk, one size too small. Those spark plug wires are a little too long and your main prod spawner's nearly gone. Your injector ports are stripped and that ain't all. Torque converters running low on torque and that water pump's nearly down a quart. We caught it all in time, so you're in luck. He said, I've got the time and I've got the parts. Just give me the word and I'm ready to start. I think we can bring her in for 800 bucks. And welcome to Car Time Radio. Dan Watson sitting in tonight for Jay Zimbauer. Yep, that's right. I'm here again. <laughs> and uh, if you're an elk somewhere in Canada, uh, keep your head down because Jay's up there uh, – <laughs> opening the season and you're going to be fair game for him so i hope jay uh, brings one home or at least gets what he's looking for but as for tonight i am here to answer your questions as you know you fellas and gals that have heard me before i am a certified lubrication specialist not an ase certified mechanic so please save those technical mechanical questions for jay and I'll be glad to answer your questions for anything to do with lubrication, oil, engine oil, transmission oil, gear lubes, grease, filtration, power steering fluid, brake fluid, antifreeze, all of those things, uh, the lifeblood of your vehicle. I'll be glad to talk about those. One of the things that I've spent some time and have become somewhat uh, expert in would be some diesel technology, and I thought I would spend a little time giving some advice out on some diesel things tonight because, hey, folks, if you haven't noticed, the diesel uh, invasion is underway. The clean diesel technology that's available coming through BMW, Mercedes, Volvo, Peugeot, all of these European vehicles, you've heard me just say, now, here's the deal, though. We now see a turbocharged diesel in a Chevy Cruze. We've got turbocharged diesels coming in smaller Ford six-cylinders, even a five-cylinder Ford engine that's being actually imported from South Africa. We've got a new um, turbocharged uh, small V8 Cummins turbo diesel for Dodge pickups and Dodge SUVs. So the diesel invasion is on. And these are tremendous uh, technological marvels <clears throat> in these diesel engines. They're just amazing. Almost all of them are turbocharged. You have to keep that in mind. And when you start moving into turbocharged diesel technology, you're starting to move into some literally space-age technology when it comes to things like the way the injectors work. Imagine this. You have this device, this injector that injects fuel directly into the cylinder, that when the engine is doing 3,000 RPM, which is pretty high RPM for a diesel, that injector could fire five times in that cycle before that piston can make it from the bottom to the top in the compression cycle. Now, this is amazing technology. And by the way, that compressor, excuse me, that injector tip, maybe running as high as 25,000 PSIG as it pops that diesel into the cylinder. Technology that uh, 
is more highly advanced than anything it took to put Apollo on the moon, just completely beyond belief. And all these things are controlled by computers. Computer programming controls the firing of the injectors and then mix all this stuff into a fine-tuned mixture of fuel and air. We have a turbo that we can vary the boost and vary the amount of air that we put into the cylinder. I mean, it's just high-tech, come home to roost, so to speak, in the diesel technology. Now, if you're going to go out and buy a diesel, which I highly recommend you take a look on your next vehicle, at these turbocharged diesels, for example, many of them are rated at 50 miles per gallon, and that's not a hybrid. That's straight off the floor with a turbo diesel. And when the turbo kicks in, you think you got a V8, the power these things have. So here's some things that you ought to ask yourself a question. Do you have any idea what the term diesel particulate filter means? And what about the regeneration cycle? What's that all about? What's going on? And... My new diesel has a urea tank that I fill up with urea fluid. Good Lord, what's that for? What's that doing? And um, gosh, now they've decided also to put a catalytic converter into the exhaust of a diesel. I just, what is all this stuff? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's how you make this diesel cleaner than the average gasoline engine at the, at the exhaust t- tailpipe. And all these requirements, they just kept loading them on from the Uh, government, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the diesel technology kept stepping up to meet those requirements, and it is highly technical. Now, I couldn't explain all these things to you in detail in the short amount of time we have here on the radio, but I will tell you, if you're interested, one of my websites that I, I have a magazine that's called Max Torque. It's all about diesels, and it's a now an online magazine. We printed it for a while, but printing is just old hat so it's now online and it is max torque with two x's that's dot com. and you're going to find a lot of articles and there's some very good articles explaining diesel technology in that website you can also go to youtube and simply type in dan watson there's a channel there i have about 70 youtubes involved There's a number of them that are associated with diesel technology. One has, gosh, I don't know now, maybe 200,000 views, and it is one that I did explaining the diesel particulate filter system and regeneration that's on uh, large diesel pickups. It's actually on all of the uh, small to mid-sized diesels, but in that particular case at that time I was talking about one on one of the diesels. You can also go to thelubepage.com. That's my uh, website for lubes and oils, and there's a video section there. It's got a video about diesel particulate filters. I encourage you to learn what you can about the systems and understand them because once you buy one of these modern diesels, uh, you cannot ignore the maintenance that's required on those engines or you will cost yourself a lot of money you have to maintain uh, the proper fluids you have to maintain changing filters on time ahead of time most of the time if you're smart Uh, there's all kinds of things that are in there that have to be done Uh, it's not that they're hard they just have to be paid attention to 
for years, most of the time, all of us have been a little bit abusive with our gasoline engines, not getting the oil changed on time, not uh, changing fuel filters, not doing the kind of things that they need, and we get by with it. We just get worse fuel economy. Well, in these uh, high-tech diesel engines, if you don't change the fuel filter on time and you allow water to make its way through from condensation, and that gets through into the fuel system and into that high-pressure fuel pump, and it goes to that injector. It will cut the tip of that injector just like using a diamond cutter. And once you cut that tip, and now you don't have the proper, what they call, atomization or puff, you get drops of diesel dripping into the cylinder, you start making all kinds of carbon, all kinds of smoke. And today, what you'll do is you'll clog up that high-tech exhaust system and have some real problems. So... You have to maintain your fuel filters. You have to make sure that you do the maintenance that's prescribed for your turbocharged diesel. Remember that little turbo that's giving you all that power? It sits in the exhaust of the engine. It uses the high-temperature exhaust to rotate one rotating member, which on a shaft then turns a, a rotating member, which grabs good clean air, pressurizes it, and jams it into the engine. Problem is, that exhaust can get really hot, so that turbo can get really hot. And that little shaft has to be lubricated with oil, and you better be using a really good high-quality oil because if you don't and it starts smoking that oil inside that turbo, it'll produce some stuff called coke, hard, hard, black, hard carbon. And if it gets a little coke build up and that breaks loose, when that comes back through the oil system, and goes into the other rotating parts of the engine, it will cut bearing surfaces and score cylinders just like you put diamond dust into the engine. So it's very important to pay attention to how to maintain and take care of your turbocharged diesel. Now we're heading right up on a break, and uh, when we come back, I want to remind you this is a call-in show, and I'll be glad to take your calls, 407-674-1025 or toll-free 855 Five four five ten twenty five. So give me a call. We'll be back right after these messages. Under my hood, he shook his head and said, "This ain't good." The timing belt's done shrunk, one size too small. And welcome back to Car Time Radio. Going to go straight through the phones and check in with Glenn. Glenn, this is Dan. What can I do for you? Are you there, Glenn? Timing engine. Okay, there we go. And I hear you. Go ahead. I have a car with a variable valve timing engine. I've been religious about changing the conventional oil every 5,000 miles, but I've had a few people tell me I really should be using synthetic oil in that variable valve timing engine. Well, uh, you know, if you would come to me, I would say you should use synthetic oil in any engine, but so that would be a biased position, so (laughs) be honest to begin with. On the other hand, let me explain to you just a couple of minutes. One of the things in the variable valve timing, um, there are a couple of devices that in the industry they call a phaser. And what these phasers do is they will press in or release out on the timing chain, or in some cases it could be a timing belt, but it's almost always a timing chain. And in doing so, they change whether the... Uh, the actual timing of when the lobe on the cam is coming in contact with the roller for 
opening the valve. So that's how they vary it by changing that. Now, what the uh, manufacturers say is that they find it critical to use the viscosity weight oil that they have uh, determined makes the variable valve timing work quick enough without having a lag, which would defeat the whole purpose of having it. Uh, most of the time you're trying to force the valve to open a little sooner so that you're advancing the timing, so to speak. But if the oil is thick and unresponsive, then it may slow that process down and you won't get the uh, effect that you're trying to get. So in effect, if oil is too thick, it could in fact uh, almost defeat the purpose of variable valve timing. And that's what they worry about most. So when you see most of them, they're telling you like Ford and these guys will say, you have to run the 5W20 or 0W20 in that particular engine in order to ensure that you will get the proper valve timing results, the, the speed of this thing, there won't be a delay. Now, if you run a quality synthetic, you wouldn't have that delay even if you were running a 30-weight oil because the quality synthetic will be uh, operating even when the engine would first start up and be cold, it would be flowing with ease, and then even at high temperature, it would be holding its viscosity so that it would act in a hydraulic sense without any delay in moving the phasers in and out. So I think that in reality, uh, all of these variable valve timing vehicles would be better off running a synthetic to get a reliable, continuous action of the variable valve timing. Uh, sounds to me like you've been running a reasonable quality petroleum and you've been changing it often enough to keep it in good shape and it, I wouldn't think you've noticed any problem with uh, hesitation or seemingly uh, runnability problems with the variable valve timing, have you? No, no. So far, so good. Yeah, so it it's a matter of that's what all the talk about these things are and the concern. I think that um, you can run the lightweight oil that's usually recommended, like I said, like a 520 in a like an Amsoil Signature Series synthetic and uh, get the kind of results that you want. Sometimes running lightweight petroleum, it's working well to maintain that uh, variable valve timing function, but it may not be working real well in other parts of the engine on giving really good protection once it gets good and hot uh, in the bearings and some of the other uh, places that have to be lubricated right yeah makes sense to me so yeah good question and uh variable valve timing is here to stay man i've seen now where i saw one commercial talking about a vehicle that had independent variable valve timing for the exhaust valves versus the intake valve so this stuff just gets you know i think most of us anymore it's hard to open the hood and understand what's under there you know <laughs> right it's just gone beyond belief. So, Well, good call, Glenn. Now, right, we did have a call a earlier about a gas generator, okay? And I'll just give a couple tips on gas generators. Most of the time, you got two types out there, folks. Either it has an oil filter or it doesn't. If it has an oil filter, then I would recommend that you run a quality um, synthetic, like 
Amsoil 10W40, 1540, or maybe even one of the 1030s. It just depends upon what the manual calls for. Uh, if you do not have a filter, then you're talking about what's called splash lubrication. There's not a forced lubrication system. And there are oils made to suit that that are better than others. There's one from Amsoil called a small engine oil. And you say, well, what is the difference? Goodness gracious, it's just a little engine. Well, splash lubrication has on the bottom of the piston where it connects on the crankshaft, it has a cupping system that dips down into the crankshaft oil and just throws it hard up under the piston, and, and, and that's how it lubricates itself. Well, that's all fine, except that's like putting an egg beater in the oil. So you got to have oil that will resist aeration and foaming. So one of the things you do with a certified small engine oil is you give it extra anti-foaming capability and, and the ability to de-aerate itself so that the oil stays liquid and doesn't become a mass of bubbling foam, okay? So you can make the oil better. Uh, in those splash lubed engines, to be quite honest, I never expect those things to last that long because that's why they didn't go to the trouble to put a forced oil system on it. So if you're going to buy a generator and you see one that has an oil filter and one that doesn't, I'll tell you, if you're going to use that generator, you're going to keep it for a long time, Look for one that has a filter on it. That means it has a forced, pressurized oil system. If it doesn't have that, it's splash lubrication like a push lawnmower, okay? And uh, it'll last a while, but if you really load it down and work it, it's going to have trouble. At least buy the right oil for splash lubrication, one that is designed better to handle that type of uh, heavy aeration that takes place when you're doing splash lubrication. All right, so those are two questions that we managed to get in and get the time to. And I want to tell you something again about the the diesel lube before we go to the next break. Um, It's imperative in these modern diesel engines that you run an oil that meets the specification. Now, these exhaust systems, uh, let's just say that if you destroy the exhaust system on your new Mercedes-Benz, and I ran into this problem the other day, and turns out just destroyed the uh, everything from using the wrong oil and all this vapor carrying over and all of this uh, extra what they call metallic additives going into all this stuff. And next thing you know, it had to be replaced. And hey, listen, you know, Mercedes, they're a very good company, real good company. In this particular case, they wouldn't do it under warranty. And what they said was, you ruined it, you pay for it. And uh, let's just, the numbers, I won't go into an exact, but it's greater than $10,000 to replace the exhaust system. So here's the point. They've had to make these things very exotic, very specific, and high-performance exhaust systems. They can't even get the car in the country and sell it. The EPA won't let them. Now, they're providing this thing to you, and you're driving off a lot. You better pay attention to what you put in this thing, and you keep that exhaust in the condition it's supposed to be in because it's very expensive to fix it. And they don't want us tinkering around with them because the things called diesel particulate filters and these things, they are welded into the exhaust system. Not like you can bolt it out, throw it away, and just put a straight pipe in because they knew people would try that. So they are welded in. Not easy. Same thing with catalytic converters. They are welded into the exhaust system. So uh, it costs you quite a bit of money to replace catalytic converters. And if you poison them, 
with the wrong oil by carryover from terrible oil vapor going into the exhaust system, then that's what happens. You poison them. They don't work. Car won't run right. You got to go pay somebody to cut it out and weld a new one in. It's a pretty expensive proposition. So we are at a stage with both gasoline and diesel engines and these exhaust systems that we really have to pay attention. And if you don't know, you need to ask questions and make sure that you're using the right oils that will protect these exhaust systems. Okay? All right, so we're up against the break. We're going to go pay some bills, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Our time radio. Dan Watson sitting in for Jay Zimbauer tonight, taking your phone call, 407-674-1025, or toll-free 855-545-1025. Talking about diesel technology and had a couple calls, things are going great. I want to tell you in advance, so as I don't forget, we're going to do a Jay Classic call in the last segment, and uh, Jay will be... You'll hear his melodious tones, but they will be recorded, and that'll be in the last segment of the show. So in case I forget to get that out just before we run out into the next segment, that's what we're going to do. Now, I get questions each week, and I hear confusion in the different places that I operate with, and I want to go over just one more time here, just for the benefit of the listeners. People, when you go to buy Amsoil Synthetics, and there's a lot of you buying it. Thank you very much. But you want to make sure you get what you pay for. There are three levels of Amsoil synthetic oils. There's one called OE. Just call that the bottom tier. XL, that's the mid-tier. And Signature Series, which is the top tier. Now, you can buy any one of those three. They're fine oils. And that's up to you which one you think works out the best for you. My personal preference is the Signature Series. And I'm going to stick with that. But what I would like to caution you on is don't pay prices for signature series and walk out with OE, okay? At least know that there's different qualities, different levels within the Amsoil families, and that you should expect to pay different prices. It's not the same price for OE that it is for signature series oil, okay? I'm telling you this because I'm trying to protect you. There are times that you may find that, that could be happening to you, that you think you're buying uh, the Signature Series best. It turns out you're buying OE, yet you paid the price that should have been for Signature Series. So just pay attention to it. If it's not clear to you, then, uh, hey, you can uh, give me a call during the week at, uh, you know, the 800 number. That's 800-370-2986. But I will tell you that I've been working with the – Walter Tools Ace Hardware Stores here in town. Now, he's got part of them, not all of them. There's good Ace Hardware Stores all through town. But the Tool Ace Hardware Stores are really expanding their stock of what they have, their variety of Amsoil, what's available. So if you're looking for Amsoil, uh, check out one of the Ace Hardware Stores here in town. If they don't have it on the shelf, they can get it for you. And we've been working hard with those guys because – Quite frankly, we've been in and out of a number of the auto parts stores over the years, and uh, the Ace guys are really working hard to have the supplies there and the things that you would be looking for. And if you're looking for Amsoil, it's going to be a good spot to find it. Also, if you're looking for oil changes, obviously you got Zimbauer's. They've been offering Amsoil for years, and uh, 
Amsoil just fits in with the scheme for the Zimbauer's Automotive because it's just one of the finest shops in town with the highest quality technicians with the with uh, just pure professionalism everywhere. So uh, I've been around long enough to know in the past some shops when they couldn't fix a car, they drove it over to Jay's place so as he could fix it and then take it back to their shop and give it to their customer because uh, Jay Zimbauer is a well-known Incredible expert here in town, just one of the best mechanics around. Uh, if you don't know it, Jay is called off many times because he has to testify as an expert witness in lawsuits and in criminal cases where they're looking for automotive, uh, you know, expert, and he's the guy that qualifies for that. So you really have a fine shop there. Now, one of the other places that has several locations in town that I deal with that are doing really well offering Amsoil is the Action Gator Tire Stores and. I recommend that if you're in anywhere in Central Florida here looking to get an Amsoil oil change, that you you check with one of those guys because they are doing a good job carrying the product and offering it for oil changes. So uh, we've been working with them for years to get that set up and in, in good position, and it's it's really working out well for us. So, again, I caution you, make sure you get what you pay for. Don't go into a place and get an oil change where you're – think you're getting an oil change of a signature series and you're paying the price for that and it turns out to be OE oil. Always be very specific when you ask for Amsoil of what it is that you want. And that's why I recommend some of these places like Action Gator. They know the difference in the levels of oil. They have them and they have them priced differently. So obviously they'll give you what it is that you ask for and not substitute something for you. Okay, all right, and running pretty hard here, pretty pretty straight through. Um, when we're talking about this diesel technology, I thought about it for a minute on the break. I don't want you to think, because I talked about how technological advances are in complex, that you should be afraid to go buy a diesel. Certainly not. It's just that for always it's been with high-performance engines that you have to be very particular to your maintenance requirements and do them and make sure they're done. Uh, just cautioning you that when you start to have any kind of turbocharged vehicles, including the gas turbocharged vehicles, there's plenty of those now, that you got to make sure you got stuff set up right because, uh, you know, I ran a an ad in a magazine one time and the, the title of it was a turbo is a terrible thing to waste, okay? And it's certainly a thing off on a, you know, a brain is a terrible thing to waste. But here's the point. Uh a turbo will give you a lifetime of service depending upon how well it's lubricated. If it's not lubricated well, eventually it will show up right there because they turn up to 100,000 RPM at their highest rate of speed. Now, any kind of turbo blade that's turning and the exhaust temperatures in diesels, you can have a 1,000-degree exhaust temperature going across the one wheel. So it's a wonderful, wonderful device, but you're going to have to do your responsibility and do your due diligence to make sure that you protect those high-tech devices because it gets very expensive if you don't. Now, we're coming up on the break, and like I said, we're going to head to the break, have some commercials, and then at the end of those commercials, we're going to do a Jay Classic call. Jay's going to come on, and you're going to hear him give a wonderful answer to a call that's that's in, and I know you're going to enjoy that. So I'm going to tell you as we're heading to the break that I'm signing out because I'll probably see you in a couple weeks when I come back. Maybe next week. Who knows? I keep coming in here. 
But uh, it's great doing the show. Enjoyed the call. So enjoy the classic Jay call, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. So long now. The mechanic raised up from under my hood, and he shook his head and said, This ain't good. The timing belt's done shrunk one size too small. Dan, how are you this evening? I am well, Jay. Ed was making room for me, I think. I think he was. <laughs> okay. What kind of troubles Listen, you got? I got a couple. I got a couple things. First and foremost, I wanted to give all your listeners, uh, give you a pat on the back to all your listeners. And I'm not a patronizing person, but <laughs> okay. I called you about five years ago. I had an, I bought a, I had a brand new '06 Nissan Titan pickup truck that I bought new in '06. Okay. At the time I called you about five years ago, I had eighty-five thousand miles or thereabouts on it. Right. And I planned on keeping it a long time, giving it to my son, which I did. Right. And I wanted to know about changing the transmission fluid. You gave me some real good advice. You said go out, look at the dipstick, yep. see if it's clear, a nice reddish color, smell it. If it don't have a smell, go ahead and change it. Right. If it, if it does, it's too late. Right. And just leave it and plan on running it until it until dies. It's working. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I, it was good. It was good advice. Good. It was fine. I changed it. I gave it to my son when he graduated high school right. about a year and a half ago. Uh, it had 112,000 on it. He's in the Air Force now up in Panama City. Right on. He's got 135,000 on it, and it still runs like a champ. Good it deal. Shows that good, good deal. Maintenance, you know, I've done 3,500-mile oil changes right. on it, all payoff. So that's, Absolutely. that's question one. Well, that's really just statement one. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, you're very welcome, and it's all true. Uh, number two is right now. After I gave him the truck, I was without a truck for a while, and I wanted to buy something, so I bought a an 07 Dodge Ram 1500. It's a Thunder Road, a factory yep. uh, gotcha. heavy-duty tow package with a 5.7 Hemi. Right. I bought it with 115000 on it okay. a little over a year ago. Very good condition. Okay. Um, I've got 131 on it now. Okay. It runs real good, but I do hear a little bit of a whining noise from the rear end, okay. especially at low speed. Correct. Uh, it's a five-speed automatic. If I'm going along at 45, even 55, right. I'll hear like a whining. Wanted to know if there's anything I should be concerned about. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, here's what I would suggest. The, the differential in that vehicle is common at those kind of mileages that we start to see some what we call brunilling in the pinion bearings of the differential. So one way to check for that is is just, you know, pull the cover off the differential and look inside and see how much material actually has, where material has built up. And what we're looking for is abnormal slivers. In other words, you're going to have some normal wear, some metallic composition, which is just a byproduct of, typical wear but when you start getting the little little larger pieces or slivers that is the the chrome or the hardening surface coming off the bearing races and that's pretty typical for those vehicles when they get up around 120 to 150,000 miles they'll start to make a little whining from the differential now the key to this is you want to catch it before it gets too far out of hand because what happens is if you let this problem go too long, then you find yourself in an unfortunate situation where the differential will completely fail, which is, of course, very expensive. If you catch it early enough, 
then typically we can go in and we can replace the differential and pinion bearings and set the gear set back up where it should be, and you're good for another 120, 150,000 miles. So that is a typical, pretty fairly common issue in those uh, in the Dodge Hemis. Uh, not unheard of, usually about that mileage. Now, once in a while, we'll find some guys that, you know, either do some heavy-duty towing or sometimes they got off-road and they got a little moisture in the differential. And when those occasions, we'll find those those noises and those problems start to crop up, usually around, you know, seventy to 90,000 miles. Um, so the key is identifying how far along it is so you can simply rebuild the differential by replacing all the bearings and resetting the gear set. Uh, versus running it till it either locks up or as that bearing wears, it's going to let that pinion gear move. And when the pinion gear continues to move, it sets up a second wear pattern on the gear set. And then no matter what you do, you're always going to have a noise, even if you fix it. So the key is also you've got to find somebody that's qualified to set up a differential. A differential gear setup is a very, very critical and a very, very technical setup. And there's very few guys and very few shops that actually can do it and do it right. Um, The reality is, you know, most of my guys in my shop would tell you, you know, if if they're younger than 35 years of age, Unless they've worked with somebody like myself or some of my older guys at my shop, they probably have no clue how to do it. And if you take it somewhere and all they do is take it apart, put bearings in it, and slap it back together, you're probably going to have problems. Right. you got to set okay. that gear well, set up. That. Can I ask you another quick sure. question? Sure, real quick, absolutely. Um, the owner's manual on the vehicles, it's got 16 plugs. It's got two plugs per cylinder. That's right. In the owner's manual, it says in big, bold letters, replace them every 30,000 miles. My Titan had eight, and it was every 100,000. Right. And they're only on the second plugs from the factory because I had it done for my son before I gave it to him. Right. Um, how critical is it to do that every 30,000, and what's the consequence? I mean, I assume gas miles Good question. Absolutely. go down if I didn't, but is there anything else that would? Yes, there is a couple things. Um, first and foremost, on all vehicles that say 100,000-mile change, they will go 100,000 miles in most driving conditions. But what we find is if you go much past about 60,000, you can run into some fuel mileage issues, number one. Number two, we've had problems getting the spark plugs out. Then you have problems with the cylinder head threads. And then finally, A spark plug with today's high-energy ignition, as the plug wears, the gap opens up. And what that causes is stress on the coils and on the coil boots. So then what happens is if you don't change them every 30,000 miles, it starts adding resistance to the secondary ignition side of of the system. And then we start to get overheated coils and then you got to replace the coils, and the coils are very expensive. That's number one. Number two, in an extreme case on that engine, we actually had a customer that went almost 90,000 miles on one of those, didn't change the plugs. We had three of the plugs come out 
with the threads stripped out of the units. So then we had to machine the threads and put inserts back in to hold the spark plugs. So absolutely urge folks on that engine. There's a couple couple engines out there, and that's one of them. You want to follow that pretty closely when you change those plugs. You want to change those plugs, by the way, when the engine is warm. Not when it's hot, but when it's warm. Not when it's stone cold and set all night. It's got to be... You know, operating temperature, then let it sit for a few hours to cool down. Okay. Cold enough you can touch it, uh, and then get the new plugs back in it. Right. That's the key I, to that I one. Bought it from a, I bought it from a reputable Toyota dealer over here in Brevard with 115.7 on it. Right. And I've got, like I say, 131. So right. I've got about 16. My, my, my point is that I really don't know when the last time they were changed. Right. Right, and I thought, well, when I get thirty thousand miles on it, I'll know. So I didn't really want to. Yeah, my my suggestion would be is I think in your case I would go ahead and change them now so you know um, that they've been done. If you're going to keep it long term, hey, yeah, you you bought a you may have bought a set of spark plugs you didn't need, but the reality is I think I'd spend the money and go ahead and do that. Mechanic raised up from under my hood and he shook his head and said, This ain't good. Timing belts done shrunk one size too small. No sp-